I just moved. I couldn't find anything. My wife's like, I'm just glad my clothes match. So anyway, it's 46 degrees this morning in Miami, and we didn't know what to do. We were freaking out. We don't know what to do. Temperature drops below 50. We are all like, what? What? Is it the ice age? What's happening? <laughs> I want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. We're really glad you are here with us, and we want to encourage you to share the stream. All y'all that are here with us this morning as well, very grateful to have you, very blessed to have you. And uh, we're taking a little journey through the book of Jonah. Jonah, the Bible is filled with people who they just blew it, right? They just, they just made a mess. And Jonah is one of those guys who made a mess. There's lots of stories like this. So if you think you're the only person in the world that's made a mess, you're crazy. The Bible especially is filled with that. So the Bible tells it like it is. It just shows you everything, good, bad, and ugly. And so he had made a mess, and he thought he blew it. And God told him to do something. He said, I'm not doing it. And he went the complete opposite way that the Lord had told him to go. A lot of storms came into his life. A storms came into the lives of the people around him. Cost him a lot of stuff. Cost the people around him a lot of things. And he thought he blew it. A storm was upon the ship where, Noah, where Jonah was. And he had a word from the Lord that he should be thrown into the sea. Sailors didn't want to do it. But it kept getting worse. And eventually Jonah was thrown into the sea. And God sent a fish, not a whale, a great fish, to pick him up and take him. And from God's perspective, because Jonah now was going to do what, he, what the Lord asked him, the Lord was sending a supernatural turnaround in Jonah's life. But from Jonah's perspective, he had no idea what was going on. The only thing he knew is he just got swallowed by a fish. And he thought, that's it. It's over. Right? And people are like, is this story real? Well, Jesus validated it. He validated Noah's story, and he validated this story. He says, as this, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so will the Son of Man be in the earth. People say, well, like, what kind of fish could it be? Could it be a whale? It's not a whale, because the Bible doesn't say it's a whale, so science has always been against this story. They're like, a, a whale's esophagus is only a certain diameter, and a man, a man cannot fit down a whale's esophagus. Well, the Bible doesn't say it was a whale. It says it was a fish. Well, what kind of fish? Well, they believe it's hard because we're... we're thousands of years removed from this story, so we don't know what species existed then that was capable of doing that, but we, one modern species of fish is something called a whale shark. It's not a whale, it's not a shark, it's just this big looking fish that has this huge mouth. Anybody ever seen one? Right? They're, they're as big as an 80 passenger bus. So if that fish can fit 80 passenger bus, it can fit one guy. And one of the most popular regions where this fish is located is in the Mediterranean and around the Red Sea. I mean, we, yeah, exactly. We know it off the coast of California. They have a lot of them there. Um, but I was just reading an article about uh, these fish because I'm doing Jonah. And uh, one of the densest populations is in the Red Sea. Is that crazy? So whether it was this fish or whether it wasn't, we know that it was a fish that picked up Jonah, did the supernatural turnaround, and was taking him in the other direction. But Jonah had no idea what was going to happen. You ever blow it and you don't know what happened? You don't, you don't know what's going to happen now, right? Something just shifts and you're like, I don't know. He had no idea what was going to happen. Jonah had made a huge mistake. His mistake had caused a lot of pain. He's in a, he caused pain to himself, but it, the, this decision had caused pain to the people that were around him. The sailors had nothing to do with this, yet they had suffered loss because of Jonah's decision. They lost cargo. They you know, were traumatized by the storm. All sorts of things were going on, and Jonah made a mess. I want you to say this. The only people in life that will not make messes are the people who don't do anything. 
If you're not going to do anything, then you don't have to worry. You won't make a mess. But if you're going to do anything in this life, you're going to make a mess. You're going to cook kid, going to cook food in the kitchen, there's going to be a mess. You're going to get married, there's going to be a mess. You're going to have kids, there's going to be a mess. You're going to go into business, there's going to be a mess. No matter what you do, there's going to be a mess. You're not going to make all of the right decisions. You're not going to do all of the right things. And sometimes those decisions are going to hurt you, and sometimes those decisions are going to hurt the people around you. But then there's even more to the equation than that. There's broken people, broken places, and broken things. So sometimes you're in an environment where other people's choices are going to affect you, right? Sometimes you're in an environment where the system that you're in is so fractured and broken, and you're looking for justice, or you're looking for mercy, or you're looking for truth, and the system is so broken that there is no truth, there is no mercy, and there is no justice, even though they're supposed to be there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Broken systems right? Then there's just broken environments. There's just places that are broken. Things just don't work the way they are, and it causes pain. So there's going to be messes in your life, and so what ends up happening, and the things that cause despair is something very similar to what happened with Jonah. So the Bible says, well, read with Jonah's prayer. So the Bible says that Jonah began to pray. Jonah is in the fish. He's in the fish, and he's praying, and this is his prayer. He says, I, Jonah, prayed unto the Lord my God out of the fish's belly. And I cried out by reason of my affliction. Now, what's he praying? He's praying because he doesn't like where he's at, right? He's praying out of his affliction. And he cried out of the, out of the belly of hell. That's an understatement. So he feels like it can't get any worse than this. <laughs> and you heard my voice. For I was cast into the deep, into the midst of the seas. The floods encompassed me. And the billowing waves keep crashing over me. Anybody ever felt that? <laughs> the billowing waves, it just doesn't stop. Then I said, I am cast from your sight, yet I will still look for your temple or your presence. The waters encompass about me, even into my soul. The depths are closing in around me. Everything's closing in. I love this one. And there are seaweeds in my hair. That's what he says. Not only is everything closing in, I got seaweeds around my head, Lord. Have you seen what's in my hair? Clearly he liked his hair. <laughs> and he says, and I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, the, the lower parts of the sea. The earth and its bars were, were round about me. He's feeling the pressure of the, the depths. Yet you have cast me up and brought me out of corruption, O oh my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Say this, he remembered the Lord. It's always great advice to remember the Lord. Always. Amen. And this one, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came unto you to your holy temple or his presence. So this temple to the Jew represented his presence. That they may observe, and he says this, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto you, and I will sing songs of thanksgiving, and I will pay that all that I have vowed to you, for salvation comes from you. So Jonah screwed it up really bad. He's in a really bad situation, and he's telling Jesus exactly how he feels about it, right? So what was the first thing that was up with Jonah? Where does his despair come from? His despair came from the fact that he was over his head. Anybody ever feel that way? He was over his head very, very quickly. You get married, you're over your head really, really quickly. You have kids, you're over your head. No, marriage is bliss. It's wonderful. You're going to realize that you're over your head really quickly. Really quickly. I used to tell people the knees of my pants were worn out because I was on my knees crying out a four-letter word to Jesus. Help. Help. Help me now or kill me now. 
but do something. <laughs> I can't, I'm over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. This is what, what, not what I was expecting. And he says, I was cast into deep water. You feel like you're over your head. You're over your head. You know, we should call on the Lord in season and out. So often we treat the Lord as a first responder. We're treating him like a 911. You know, we're only calling on the Lord when we're in trouble or when we're struggling or we're going through something. And that's okay. Jesus will always be your first responder, Christian. You don't have to worry about that. If you call, he will answer. If you look to him, he will come. If you ask him to deliver you, he will. 100%. I don't care how big a mess you made, the Lord will come and help you if you ask him. He'll come and do it. What he wants for us is he wants to relate to us at a much deeper level and that, that, that our relationship with him becomes part of a consuming or immersed lifestyle. We're in him, we move, and we live and have our being, and he is moving in us, and we are moving in him, and all of our lives are encompassed with him. That's, that's his desire. But too often, we don't go there, and we end up making messes, and Jesus is just the first responder. And some Christians, that's the only perspective they have. The Lord is up there on a shelf, and I just call on him when I need him. And he comes and saves me every time I make an idiot out of myself. But that's not the design. What God wants to do is have a relationship with you, and he wants to lead you from victory to victory to victory to victory. This is his desire for you. His desire is that. So he was feeling overwhelmed because he was in over his head. He was feeling overwhelmed because he had hit rack bottom. He thought, it can't get any lower than this. He says, I have sunk to the bottom of the sea. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It can't get any worse. Is, you know? And so he's feeling overwhelmed. He's feeling despair. He doesn't have the answers. Feeling this pressure. He's in a circumstance he can't get out of. That's the third thing. He had no control. There was all this pressure on him, but he couldn't find a purpose to it. All this activity, but no clarity. So he had all these things happening around him, and he's like, what in the world's going on? I, I don't even know. All this pressure. What is this all about? Why, do I, what, what, why am I under all this pressure? He had no idea how to turn it around. He says, everything is churning around me. This is what he's saying. Just churning, churning. The mess is just churning. Just won't go away. Just keeps churning. The fourth thing he was was he was overwhelmed. He says, I was engulfed by powerful waves that overwhelmed me. The Navy SEALs, anybody know any, who, we have Navy SEALs, right, special ops? One of the ways they train these guys, they put them in these rubber boats. It's crazy, right? Their whole, the whole premise of the Navy SEALs in the beginning is to literally exhaust you to the point that you quit. They, don't, they want you in that program only if you're willing to be there. You have to do whatever it takes. They're going to exhaust you. They burn you out. They completely do it. That's what they do. They run you till you drop. They make you carry logs. They run you in the sand. It seems like there's no, there's no, what functional purpose is there for me to carry a log up and down the beach? To exhaust you, to get you past the point to where you're now operating on a will to be there and you're not going to break and you're not going to quit. And so one of the things they do is they send these guys out in rubber boats, right? They're out there in rubber boats in crashing waves. Now they know they're not going to make it past the breakers. But that's not the point. The point is to exhaust them. And so they're out there exhausting, and they're letting me, these guys are going out there for three hours. They're going up, and boom, the wave hits them and tips the boat over. Then another wave comes, and boom, hits the boat and knocks them over. And the drill instructor's on, the, on the, the shore with a bullhorn going, pick the boat up, get back in the boat, you know? And so the whole time, the exercise is 
pick the boat up, get back in the boat, get the boat flipped, pick the boat up, get back in the boat, the boat gets flipped. This goes on for hours. And if you ever see these guys coming out of these crashing waves, they're literally dragging them out of the seashore. They're so exhausted. They can't even stand up. They're just so exhausted. So what happens when waves come after you over and over and over and over again? You reach a breaking point. This is what's going on. This is how he felt. So your feelings, if you feel like, this, like, like you know, Jesus doesn't understand what you're going through, you're completely wrong. He knows what you're going through. He has an answer to the circumstances that you're going through. So he felt overwhelmed, and that overwhelmness was what was causing him to despair. He felt rejected and alone. That'll do it. People reject you. You feel pretty down, don't you? A lot of despair there, a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache. He said, I thought I was banished from your presence. I feel like you've rejected me. I feel like I don't matter to you. Right? Anybody here? Right? Feel like the Lord doesn't, you don't matter to the Lord? Right? Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you you don't matter to the Lord? That's a complete lie. That's a lie right out of hell. You're loved on your worst day. Jesus is for you when you're against you. He's always for you. Reject and forgotten. Who told you that? Some of the Lord's best work he does in silence. Book of Esther, the Lord isn't mentioned at all in the entire book of Esther. Yet he's right there. Right? He turns the whole scene around, but he's not mentioned at all. Right? Forgotten of God. Uh, the enemy, Haman, is the villain in the story. And so Haman is building a gallows because he's going to hang Mordecai, the Lord's servant, on these gallows. Mordecai is going to die on the gallows. And so Mordecai tells the people of God to fast and pray because this guy Mordecai is manipulating the king to basically do a genocide on the Jews. And so he brings Esther in, who is actually a Jewish uh, uh, woman married to the king. And Mordecai is Esther's uncle. And she says, for such a time as this, you hold this position for this moment in time. God has brought you to this position in this time for this reason. And he says, See, amen, come on. And so he says to her, I need you to go to the king and beseech him and tells her the whole story. And she was freaking out because this king, this Persian king, if you walk into his presence and he doesn't extend the scepter to you, you they would kill you. In other words, if he didn't want to see you, and he didn't extend the scepter to you, they would, that's just how they rolled. And she's like, if I go in there and this dude isn't happy to see me, I'm going to die. And so she was afraid. And he told her, well, one way or another, you're going to die if you don't. That's basically it. And he said, if you don't, if you don't do what, what is required of you, the Lord will raise up another. But know for certain you will perish. Jesus will look for another if you don't do it. So you can capitulate, you can surrender in fear, but if you don't do it, then God's going to raise up another, but you're going to lose this opportunity and your family's going to perish. And of course she did it, and uh, King Ahasuerus was very glad to see her because he was in love with Esther, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a song. But I can't. <laughs> what do you want, girl? Yeah. <laughs> he was very grateful to see her, and he... he was very happy to see her, and she was very gracious. Beautiful story. And so, uh, you know, so he felt rejected and alone. But God is working, act, say it with me, the Lord is actively working behind the scenes. Actively. Actively doing things behind the scenes that you are completely unaware of. 
There are people sitting here right now that God has actively worked behind the scenes to bring you into this position, into this church for certain things, for certain purposes. Because there are longings within your heart that you've been asking for. There's desires within your heart that you've been asking for. There's prayers that have gone up. There's cries, there's hurts, there's pain. And God has brought you here and he has actively worked behind the scenes of your life to put you into this position. So true. So true. So true. His words are alive. The Bible says the greatest famine is a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. The famine that is the one that is to be sought to avoid it at the most is not a famine for bread or a, or a drought for water, the Bible says. The famine that is the worst for mankind is where the word of God isn't taught properly, where it's not effectively brought to the people. Because the word of God, God carries his word as something more than bread. He carries his word as something more than water. When it's taught properly, it's alive, right? The word of God is living. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. The word of God is what brings life into us and makes us alive. Now, it can be taught historically or it can be taught spiritually. It can be taught culturally or it can be taught kingdom culturally. One way is effective, the other way isn't. <laughs> and that's the deal. We seek to teach it effectively. We seek to teach it in a manner that promotes change, provokes change, and draws you unto who he is and who you are called to be. Life-changing, transformative, living word of God. So rejected and alone he felt. I've been banished from his presence. He had regret, number six. I'll never get to see your holy temple again. He's like, I've lost it all. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I'm not coming back from this. And the Lord's like, uh, no, that's not true. Then the seventh thing he was is he was fearful. And he says, I was scared to death and I was afraid. I was drowning in water. I was choking and there was seaweed around my head. This word choking is an interesting word. In the English, it was an old English word called worgen. And the word worgen is where we get worry. He's like, I'm choking with worry. Worry is choking me. I'm afraid. I'm drowning in the emotions of this circumstance, and I feel like this is choking me. And oh yeah, by the way, I got seaweed on my head. <laughs> he felt he was trapped and he was no way out. You ever feel that way? He said, I feel locked in this prison and there's no way out. Good news. Jesus holds the key. Right? The Bible says he holds the key of David. What I open, no one can close, and what I close, no one can open. I'm in this place. Nobody can get me out. No key to the door. Jesus is like, I got a key. He's going to get you out. The Lord will deliver you. The Lord will get you out of the circumstances that you have put yourself in. The Lord will get you out of the situations that others have put you in. He will release you. He will free you. For freedom's sake, he makes you free. He'll upgrade you. He'll take away the pain. He'll heal the sorrow. He'll restore the broken. This is what he does. He doesn't do it by default. Say it with me. Jesus, make you all uncomfortable here. Je make you all uncomfortable at home. Jesus, Jesus doesn't work any harder than me. If it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't matter to him. Period. Doesn't. He walks right by people. He throws out invitations all the time. But if it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't matter to him. Bartimaeus sat by the side of the road with a tin cup. Oh, Lord, I'm blind. Heal me. Oh, God. Oh, God. Jesus over here with his hand out. Jesus walked right by him. Didn't stop at all. 
until Bartimaeus cried a prayer and cried out from the heart where it mattered to him, when he was willing to do whatever it took to change. When he was willing to do whatever it took, he was going to push past his vulnerability. He was going to push past his embarrassment. He was going to do whatever it took, but he was going to get what God said he could have. So many of us were just one, was undignified. Bartimaeus was screaming, right? In the beginning, he was talking. Oh, and Jesus wasn't paying attention. And they were, all the people were like, shut up, dude. You're bothering him. And the Bible says that Jesus, he realized that the Lord was going to pass him by. He realized that the opportunity wasn't going to stay there forever, right? This is my shot. And he banged the cup and he cried out all the more. And then all of a sudden Jesus stopped because he heard it from the depth of the heart. That cry he recognizes. He doesn't recognize the cry of a victim. He doesn't because in Christ you're not a victim. I don't care what your circumstances are. You're not a victim. You are a victor, period, period. You may have the lingering after effects of victimization, but if you will walk with the Lord and do whatever it takes, he will deliver you from the lingering after effects of the pain and the sorrow of your victimization. That's a fact. That's an absolute fact. It's who he is. Bartimaeus, when he heard the cry, he did it. You look at the woman, the woman with the issue of blood, if you guys know the story. She had a bleeding issue for 12 years. The woman's now broke. Talk about health care. She's broke. She didn't have any dollars. She's completely broke because she's tried to fix herself, and she can't. And Jesus is walking by, and there's a massive crowd of people, and she's probably very, very weak because she's had a blood issue for 12 years. She's probably skinny as a rail, right? And she's probably, you know, doesn't have a lot of strength in her at all. And there's this massive crowd thronging Jesus. Oons, 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 oons. I mean, he's rock star. People would be crowd surfing to just touch him, you know? And he's walking down the street. This is the, this is the scene. The Bible says Peter was leading the way. You know what Peter was doing? Shoving people out of the way. Get out of the way. Get out of, get out of the way. You know, Peter was like the bodyguard. He's like just chucking people to the right and to the left, right? Getting rid of them all. And Jesus is just cruising down the street, right? He has prayer shawn. He's walking down the street. And people are thronging and touching him. This woman, the Bible says, was willing to do whatever it takes. She had no dignity. She had no dignity. She wasn't worried about her dignity. She wasn't worried about her vulnerability. She wanted to be whole. And she said, this guy is going to make me whole. This is the Messiah. And she got down on her hands and knees. She crawled through the crowd, and she touched the hem of his prayer shawl. And she was whole. She didn't even touch him. She touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus is like, who touched me? I love this response. This is one of my favorite stories. I tell this all this time because I like it. I love it. Peter looks at him and goes, what? Lord, the whole crowd is touching you. And you're asking us who touched you? The question is, who isn't touching you? Right? <laughs> and but somebody touched him with intention and purpose. Right? Right? Yeah? Big time in this story. He had the prayer shawl on. Right? It's called the, and they would wrap it around their fingers, called the talith. They would take the cords of the prayer shawl, and when they would pray, they would lift their hands, and it would create wings, right? They would take the prayer shawl and put it over their head, and when they would pray, they would do this. This is what a prayer closet is. When Jesus says, go into your prayer closet, he's not saying go into your bathtub, right? Lock the door. They would put the, they would put the, they would put the prayer shawl over their head, and they would cover themselves with the prayer shawl, and they would intercede from the closet or for the hidden place, right? It's another story. But they would take the, 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 the tzitzit and the talith and they would wind it around their fingers and they would walk. Jesus was probably walking, 
with the talith, and he was walking down the street, and she reached and she touched the hem of her garment. People always wonder why she touched the hem of her garment, because she was an observant Jew. She'd been raised in the kingdom. She, had, she knew her word. And the Bible says that when the Son of Righteousness comes, when the Messiah comes, he will have healing in his wings. In his wings. Where did she touch his garment? On the wing. Right? She's like, I don't have to touch his head. I just got to get to the wing. Right? And she touched his wing, and he looked at her, and he called her daughter. He called her daughter. I think there's only, that, is, that is the only known. There's, and I think there might be another one, but that is one of the only direct quotes where Jesus called her daughter. He called anybody daughter. Why did he call her daughter? Because she knew who she was, she knew what was hers, and she knew who he was. Everybody else, whatever, they were common. But this is a daughter. That's a daughter right there. This daughter knows who she is. She knows that's her inheritance. She knows that belongs to her, and she's willing to do whatever it takes to get it. And she doesn't care what anybody thinks. Scrawny little daughter crawling on the ground got something nobody else did because she knew who she was. And she knew who he was. Right? It's true. So true. Do you know who you are? Sons and daughters? Do you know who you are? Why do you capitulate yourself to a culture that is not your own? Why do you subordinate yourself to voices that are not your father's? Seriously. Seriously, we're bound, we're Christians, we're heirs of this world and the one to come. We can't manifest glory or power at all because we are constantly capitulating and serving voices of the culture. There's three cultures, kingdom culture, world culture, and hold on, hold your chair, church culture. And the Christian has a choice. You can serve any, any one of them. What's happened in the most recent two years is that we have served the voices of the culture. Fear has been projected, and the church has capitulated itself to fear. And now we've come under the jurisdiction of fear, the dominance of fear, and the authority of fear. To who you submit yourself is to whose master you, that's what the master becomes. We yield ourselves to voices that are within this culture. We bow ourselves. We become culturally relevant, but kingdom irrelevant. I know, it's going to get quiet, so let me say it again. We become culturally relevant, but kingdom irrelevant. Oh, we're culturally relevant. We got Ferraris on the stage, right? The pastor bungee cords down off the platform. I mean, we're culturally relevant, right? You want smoke machines? We got them. We got them. You want disco balls? We got them. We got them. But that isn't what it's all about. It's not even about Jesus. It's about kingdom and power. Christ alone is exalted, but he has come to bring kingdom and power. The kingdom is here. This is what he comes to bring. Church culture is the same way. Inundated, listening to voices within the church culture that tells you, just accept it the way it is. Just eat your bread in meagerness. Well, the Lord's going to do what the Lord's going to do. Que sera, sera. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And people bind themselves to those voices. When the voice of your father says, above only and not beneath. When the voice of your father says you will walk through the fire and not be burned and go through the water and not go under. That's what your father says, right? Well, it all burned down. That must have been the Lord. This is kingdom. We're stu That's Christian dumb. Stupid Christians saying stupid things that know nothing, right? Like Job, they need to put their hand over their mouth. Job spoke wrongly of God's character. 
He said, you speak as if you know me, Job, but you don't. And after the Lord gave him a lecture, Job just kind of went, I think I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth. And he said nothing. He said nothing. We speak of him in a bad way. We speak of his character. That's not his character. His character's in his word. And not just in his word through your denominational perspectives. Jesus is the fullness of the revelation. How many people did he not heal? Not one. Not one. How many businesses did he tear down? Not one. How many divorces did he cause to happen? Not one. How many storms did he redirect? Not one. Yet we portray his character as something that it's not. Well, God's going to judge. He didn't do it in Christ. He is the perfect expression. He is perfect theology. You want to stand who Jesus is or who God is? He is the reflection of Christ. That's who he is. He's perfect theology. So anything you say or do or teach or talk about that's not in line with who he is and the character of his heart, it's incongruent with his nature. And we speak profane things. We speak as fools about him because that's not who he is. It's not who he is. Amen. <laughs> it's a good point, Pastor. It was a really good point. Amen. He wants everything for you. He wants everything for you. The yearning that I feel sometimes when I feel this yearning, I'm like, what is it that I'm feeling? He's like, I want my people to stop settling for what is common. So I feel. I feel it all the time. I come up here. I have that. I was telling, the, I was, I telling, I was telling Corey. Corey's like, wow. And I was like, I go, man, it just comes out of me. I go, I come up here and I have this set structure. Not, yeah, I'm not expecting you to be impressed because I'm not you know, trying to impress anybody. But the, the, I come up with this like, set idea. And then as I come up here, I feel this yearning. And God yearns for you. He yearns for you. He's yearning for his people. Yearning for his people. Stop settling for common. Stop subordinating to lesser voices. Who told you that? Who told you it's not changing? Who told you that? Stop doing that. Come higher. Come higher. Yearn for more. Stop being average when you're exceptional. Nothing fair about favor at all. The bread is for the children. When the world goes down, we go up, period. Heaven's never been broke. Voices projected in the culture, we run. <gasps> the world's burning, we gotta run. Oh. Well, I walk through the fire and I will not be burned, so I'm not freaking out. The world's drowning. Did you hear the sea levels are gonna rise? I will pass through the water and they will not overtake me, right? Dude, what about the economy? You know, the market's down 500 points. Heaven's never been broke, right? Not, you know, I'm bound to the kingdom economy that blesses me through this economy, but this economy is not my source. The master is my source. I have no other source but him. Heaven's not broke. I'm not freaking out. He'll provide for me in season and out. All I got to do is listen to him and do what he, told, what he tells me, and he's always got a word. He's always got something to say. Why are you afraid? Stop capitulating. You're not cultural Christians, Christian. You're kingdom Christian, Christian. Right? You come from another world. We don't think as the TV dictates. We don't think as the newspapers in all of society dictates. We think from the mind of Christ. We think on earth as it is. That's how we are to perceive and think and live our lives in that dimension, from that dimension. Heaven's not broke, is it? Right. Heaven's not out of ideas, is it? No. Is your God a creator? He creates something from nothing. From nothing. That's what the Bible says, bara. In the beginning, God created. That word bara means from nothing. From nothing. You don't think he can take the nothingness of your life and do something with it? You don't think he can take the nothingness of your circumstance and do something with it? He makes something from nothing. 
We're taught limited resources. Jesus is sufficiency, all sufficiency. Be who you are. Become who you are. Train yourself. Pound it in until it becomes one with you. I will not think in any way that's incongruent with his kingdom. I will not accept a voice that is not the loving, flowing, direct voice of my Father. Now, he's going to direct you. It's not always going to be cookies and buttermilk. You know, he's going to tell you things straight because he is your Father and he is a king, right? So he's going to tell you things in a direct way, but not to hurt you, never to hurt you, always to lead you, always to cause you to rise higher. Jesus leads us to the mountain, but he also leads us to the valley. So here's Jonah in the valley, right? He's in the valley. He'd been on the mountain, now he's in the valley. One of the, a very powerful story in the scriptures, Israel, God's people at that time, uh, were not listening to him. And inevitably, when you don't listen to Jesus, you're going to be in a bad place. I always tell people, just start the watch. It's okay. Start the clock, right? And you're going to know the minute, the day, and the hour <laughs> that it all starts to fall apart. Because when you desert the Lord, when you abandon the Lord, it's not a matter of if it's going to fall apart. It's only a matter of when. It's, it's, there's no if. It's an inevitability. It's going to fall apart. And so here's Israel, his people, in the valley at this time, not in this story of Jonah, but there's the, the, the nation is in the valley. And the Lord is having counsel with himself because he's Father, Son, and Spirit. They have counsel among themselves. They are three, but they are one. They're perfectly unified in every way. And so the Lord is taking counsel within himself. And he's saying, I'm going to meet her in the valley of Achor. I'm going to go to her at her lowest point. She's low. And you know what he says? I love it. It's like, I'm going to speak kindness to her. I'm not going to speak correction. I'm not going to speak rebuke. I'm not going to speak domination. I'm not going to say, I told you so. I'm going to go to her at her lowest point, and I will speak kindness to her. The words are, I will woo her with my kindness. Right? He's going to say, do you want another opportunity? You know, that's not hopeless. I will speak kindly to her. And he said, and I will lead her through the door of hope in the valley of Achor. This is how God sees you. He's not coming to give you a lecture because you screwed up. <laughs> He's not coming to beat you down and say, I told you so. Human parents do that. Can I get a witness? Okay. All human parents of teenagers do that. Can I get a witness? <laughs> yes, that's another story. <laughs> but the point being is God is kind. He's merciful. And he's with Jonah, and he's going to meet Jonah, and he's going to turn everything around for Jonah. God will meet you in the valley, and he will give you hope. It's, it, there's always hope. I tell you guys, if, there, if you ever wonder it's hopeless, just put a mirror underneath your nose, and if it fogs, there's hope. As long as the mirror under your nose has fog on it, there's hope. So long as you're breathing, there's hope. God's the God of hope. So Jonah's inside the fish, and he calls upon the Lord. Jonah says, from inside the fish, I called upon the Lord. This is the turnaround. So this is what happens. Jonah's in these circumstances. He's feeling all these emotions. He's going through all this pain. Everything's a train wreck, and the train wreck happened because he chose it. And so he realizes that he is powerless to turn this around. And so he calls on the Lord as God. Prayer has to become part of your lifestyle. That's what prayer, prayer is to be integrated with us. We're supposed to be immersed with us. We're supposed to talk to the Lord, right? We're supposed to be in this communion with him. It's not these holy, righteous, oh, I got to get down on my knees. Prayer's breathing. It's communion. That's what it is. Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? Right? What's happening? What's going on there? 
I mean, it, it just, it turns into this communion. Like, it's, it's just this centering. Like, I use it like as a centering point of my life. And I feel completely out of balance when I'm not centered. I don't make decisions. I'll say no, even if it's a great opportunity, if I haven't had the time to talk to Jesus about it. My wife's like, why do you take a long time? I go, I do, because I want to hear the Lord. I presume and assume nothing. I'm not saying I don't make mistakes. I'm completely capable of making mistakes. But nonetheless, my, my batting average is much higher when I do that as opposed to when I don't. Presuming and assuming is not the answer. And so what does that look like? That looks like a developmental relationship with the Lord. It looks like learning Him and beginning to learn that you can trust Him. Most people hold the Lord at a distance because you don't think you can trust Him. Jesus is the kindest person you'll ever meet. He's the most merciful person you'll ever meet. He's the most loving, generous, and kind person you'll ever meet. He wants nothing from you. He wants everything for you. What we do is we get angry because things don't work out the way we want to. Well, you, Jesus, look, he's not your bellhop, right? We make this thing and we go, bless it. And then when he doesn't bless it, we get mad. And the Lord's like, well, why don't you listen to me? My whole intent for you is to bless you, but you don't listen to me. Scripture says that by the choices of a man's heart or a woman's heart, they create calamity, yet their heart rages against the Lord. So we make the mess, and then our, when we blame him, you know, it's your fault. No, it's not his fault. It's a lot of reasons why, but it's not his, right? If it's not good and perfect, it didn't come from Jesus. That's plain and simple. It might have come from you. might have come from your neighbor. might have come from the devil. might have come from a broken world. might have come from a lot of things. But it didn't come from the Lord. His intent is good, always and forever. So Jonah calls on the Lord. He put, the second thing he did is he ever say it with me. He prayed personally. This is important. Christian, you've got to learn to pray personally. You've got to learn to not pray religious prayers, right? There's a story in Psalms, or excuse me, the book of Acts, where Paul had an encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, and scales came over his eyes, and he wasn't blinded. The Bible doesn't use the word with blind at all there. There's only one word. There's blepon and teflon, teflon, right? It's a crazy word. But there's in, in, in the Greek that means um, blindness. And the word that is used for Paul when it says struck with blindness is not blindness. It means, it means disoriented, right? So people say, well, God struck Paul with blindness. I'm like, and you did that research where? That's not what the, that's not what the text says. He was disoriented. Nonetheless, Paul is struck with disorientation from the Lord, and he begins to pray. And the Lord goes to a man and says, I want you to go to this town and find the guy named Saul, and I want you to pray for him. And the guy's arguing with Jesus. He's like, this is an, he's having a spiritual encounter. And he's saying, Lord, this guy's killing Christians. He's like, you want me to go to him? And the Lord says, yes, because he's praying. Now, why, what, what's so important about that? Paul had done nothing his whole life but pray religious prayers. You understand that? So it's very clear that he's praying a different type of prayer here because Jesus is recognizing a different type of prayer. Go to him because he's praying, right? He, Paul, for the first time in Paul's life, he was probably praying something from the heart. He was probably praying something meaningful. He was probably praying something that was relational because all he had ever done is pray ordinances and pray prayers of religious decree, right? Jonah prayed personally. You have to develop a prayer life. It's just communion. It's just conversation. You don't have to be on your knees. If you want to be on your knees, fine. You want to be on your feet? Fine. You want to lift up hands? Fine. There's different ways of praying. The easiest way is to be in communion. 
You're just in relationship. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Father. What do you have for me today? Right? And being in communion with him. What do you say, Lord? That's why prophetic is so important in the life of the Christian. The prophetic voice of God in your life is extremely important. Not me prophesying or someone else prophesying, but you learning to prophesy. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, right? What is, he, what is Jesus talking about when he, when he lays that out there? He's saying, I want to connect my people with my voice. I want to connect my people with my spirit. And so God wants to en- enable you to hear him. That's, that's what he wants. You are already enabled. If you're a born-again believer, you already have it. The, the office of the prophet. You have the gift of the prophet, the ministry of the prophet, and the office of the prophet. Now, all y'all are, are, don't have the office of the prophet, but all y'all have the gift of the prophet if you're born-again Christian. It's given to you. It's an inherited gift. It's given. You don't know how to activate it. You don't know how to use it. You don't know what you're doing with it, but it's still there. All Christians can take the gift of the prophet and develop it into the ministry of the prophet, but not all Christians can develop the ministry of the prophet into the office of the prophet. That's a different world right? It's a different thing. It's not some hierarchical thing. That's another story for another time. But nonetheless, what you need to know is that you have the gift of prophetic. You don't know what you're doing. You need to be trained. Some people freak out and they run from it. They don't want to do it. Why would you do it? Israel ran from power and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The Lord brought them out of Egypt. When he brought them out of Egypt, he delivered them from their bondage and he brought them to Mount Sinai. And when he brings them to the mountain, the Lord did what? He put his presence on the mountain and he exposed them to power. And the people freaked out at the power and they retreated. And so rather than becoming a community that heard his voice, they said, no, 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 you speak on our behalf, Moses. And so the people became interdependent upon the voice of Moses when the Lord would have had them be interdependent upon his voice alone. When you retreat from power, you are seriously diminishing what God wants to do in your life. Same thing in the book of Acts, right? They get born again. They get saved. Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait for what? Don't do anything until I expose you to power. (laughs) Come on. Exactly. Kingdom. Power. It's not, you know, it's. It's, a, it's the ability to do this. And it belongs to the Christian. It belongs to you. Why do you run from it? You should be in every school we do. You want to learn power? You should learn everything. We, we, we teach this stuff in schools, right? We'll activate you in fire starters. We got School of Prophets 1, School of Prophets 2. You know, we got uh, School of Deliverance. We got all kinds of things here. We got School of Supernatural Ministry, School of Healing. I mean, you know, you want to learn, you should learn. You should be in every school. What's your excuse? If God's intent is to expose you to power in order to transform you and make you something, make you a weapon, why would you not want that? You know what you become? You become like Israel who retreated from power and spent 40 years wandering in a wilderness only to drop dead. That's the vast majority of the church, wandering in wildernesses, wandering around. Oh, their clothes aren't wearing out. They still look good, right? Everything everything looks normal. So what happened? Nothing, their clothes didn't wear out. Their bread didn't. Their bread was sustained. Their lives looked normal. But they were going to die in a wilderness without the promises because they would not engage power. Period. It's right there. Right? It's right there. 
You need to learn to pray. You need to learn to pray for yourself. People come to me. One of the things, most often things I do is I try to get them to pray. I'll lead you in a prayer. Let me lead you in a prayer. They're like, pray for me. I go, let me lead you in a prayer. Why? Because you don't need to be codependent upon me praying for you. You need me to coach you how to pray for yourself, right? That's what you need. You know, oh, the holy pastor will pray for you. Look, I'll pray for you. You know, I'll pray for you. I'll give you what I got, right? I'll lay it out there. But in the end, it's not, it's not having people pray for you. It's learning to pray for yourself, right? And you learn the language in community, and you learn the language by other people around you. Some of you, you hear somebody pray, and you go, look, lead me in that prayer. Let them, and then you'll start. It's, it's like a river, man. It's the same thing with all of the gifts. That they, you, it'll just click. Then all of a sudden, you'll be praying like a crazy person, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, wow, you can never pray before, right? And now you pray like, there's a guy here who used to write all his prayers. He's like, I can never pray. I said, write them down. I said, write them down. He started writing them down, right? Writing them down, writing them down. And every time we, we, we would have prayer groups, and he'd be holding the prayer sheet, and he'd be praying off the sheet. I'm like, I don't care if you stand on your head. Just, you know, pray. It doesn't matter if he's holding the paper. And then as he began to be around people and began to be in the environment, it just clicked, and he just he flows like a river now. But in the beginning, he couldn't pray. I'm like, write it down. I'm like, sit down. If it takes you half an hour, sit down and write out a prayer. Say, Lord, what do I want to say? Holy Spirit, what do I want to say? And let him write it down and read off the prayer. Father, you know, whatever. It's good. But what you'll do is you'll learn the language, you'll learn the cadence, you'll learn the rhythm. And it'll click. Sons and daughters, rise. So prayer doesn't always have someone else to lead you. You don't have to be prayed for. You need to learn to pray for yourself. Now, look, if you need prayer, I'm not trying to beat you up. Oh, man, I feel guilty. I need prayer. If you need prayer, you need prayer. It's okay. But that shouldn't be the norm, right? Like, if you look at 10 months of your life, and every time, you, every time there's prayer need in your life, you have somebody pray for you, and you haven't taken a step into your own world, come on. Time to shed the diaper, right? You know, you put some rubber, rubber, you know, you know, some, put some pull-ups on, right? We can graduate a little bit, can't we? All right? You can put a porta potty in your backpack, like my daughter does. She carries a little porta potty, so my grandson wants. He's like, I gotta go potty, mommy. She just whips it out of the bag and goes, "Go," right? <laughs> he prayed in the circumstances in his emotions. It's okay to pray your emotions, Christian. It's okay. We think almost solemn and reverent God. I do not seek to offend you today. If there's any mercy in your heart. And if you just have any grace in you to sit, look down upon me, this worthless child, this worthless servant who can never do anything right, I just ask you to see me and hear my prayer if it's not too much for you, if you're not too busy today. That's how we pray. He doesn't hear it. He'll never hear it. He doesn't hear the prayers of the victims. He hears the prayers of the sons and daughters. Father, I come before you. I'm your son. I come righteously before the throne of grace. Boom. I come off that context, and you're going to see heaven will move over those prayers. He doesn't, he doesn't move on would you, could you, should you. He doesn't move on wise. He moves on sons and daughters prayers that are coming from the position of inheritance. He moves on that. That's what he moves on. So in the scripture, one third of all of the prayers in the book of Psalms are laments. A lament can be a sorrowful prayer, but a lament can also be a complaint. So the, almost the entire book of song is singing and praying. And 30% of the songs in the, in the, in the, in the prayers are complaining. Say it with me. Complaints go up. Right? Do you know why complaints go up? Because no one, look to your right, look to your left. 
No one on that, another one, no one on either side of you can do anything about your complaining. The only one who can do anything about your complaining, his name is Jesus. He's the only one. So my complaints go up, you know, occasionally, but then I always remind myself, dude, what are you doing? Tell the Lord. And I tell him, I tell him, I tell him my situation. What it does when you're communicating with God is you're opening up the avenue, not so much for you to be heard, right? It's important for you to be heard, but what's more important is that you hear him, right? Because he can instruct you from that context. He can instruct you from that, that position. You know, Lord, I'm choking. Lord, I'm afraid. Lord, I'm alone. Lord, I'm overwhelmed. Do you have any indication why that's happening, Lord? Uh, no, I don't. Would you like to ask me? Okay, what, why is this going on? What's going, what's going on here, Lord? It's okay. 30%, this is, this is what uh, Jonah was praying. I'm choking. I'm freaking out. I feel alone, and I feel overwhelmed. It's okay to pray that way. He prayed scripture. Eight times in that prayer, he quotes the book of Psalms. That's that prayer I read from Jonah. There are eight quotations from the book of Psalms in that prayer. He prays scripture, right? Father, you said that I am the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. I just declare into the situation your turnaround. Lord, you said, Lord, you said, you said if I tithed and I gave my bread and I cast my bread upon many waters that it would return unto me. You said if I gave that pressed down, shaken together and running over, would you cause men to pour into my bosom? I call forth what is, what is right from me. You're praying from a context of scripture. You're putting him in remembrance, which is what Isaiah says, of his word. Does Jesus forget? He says, put me in remembrance that you and I might contend together. When you pray scripture, you and Jesus come into agreement about what you're praying about. You're saying the same. You pray scripture. I hear people sometimes, they want to get married. I'm like, find a story in the scripture and pray that and watch him move. Yeah. Find a, I'm waiting for my Boaz. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? No, no, really, what does that mean? No, seriously, we, I've heard that quote so many times. I'm like, what in that story are you giving the Lord as a, well, I just want a meet a Boaz. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Read the story. What did she do? Where was she at? What was going on? Right? I'll give you one, ladies. I <laughs> know, this should be more on the men's side. One of the things when she went to meet Boaz, because Boaz started inviting her somewhere, Ruth, or, or nail, or, um, yeah, in the book of Ruth, and he's inviting her, and it said she bathed. She bathed. What does that mean? She bathed, and then it, and then she showed a little real estate, right? She gave a little shoulder, right? <laughs> right? That's true. Read it. What part of that story are you identifying with? Has Boaz asked you out to dinner? Take a bath. What's that mean? Don't look like Frida Frau when you're going out with a dude, right? Well, I'm going to wear my broom skirt because I want to look sanctified for Jesus. We're not going out with Jesus, and Jesus would probably tell you to change your clothes too. Do something with your hair, right? See Hadassah. She'll help you out with that. She has a salon. You need clothes? You've got somebody with all kinds of stuff, right? Help them out. Find a story in Scripture and pray it. I have, mine was Isaac. I said, I want to be serving you. Isaac was meditating in the field, and he looked up, and here came Rachel. I said, I don't want to be looking. I want you to plant her right in front of me. And, I want you to, like, and then I had Adam, too. And I said, when you plant her in front of me, I want to open my eyes, and there she is. Right? Adam just opened his eyes, and there she was. Isaac was meditating on the Lord. He wasn't chasing skirts. 
right? Wasn't chasing skirts, right? Find a story. And don't, if you're going to give me the lame, I'm waiting for my Boaz. You need to go to the mirror and slap yourself. You need to read the story and find it in the story. Find it in the story. Find it in the story. You're looking for a woman, right? Looking for a woman? Rachel was serving the servant of God's camels. Lord, I'm looking for a wife. What story signifies to you? The story, the st my, my wife was serving the servant of the Lord's camels, right? She was serving Jesus and she was serving the servants of the Lord. So that, that story melded together. God hovers over what is relative to him, not what is relative to you. Well, I need a guy who has it all together. Like Abraham, he had it all together. He lied. He, Abraham was rich. Abraham pimped his wife, okay? <laughs> Just saying, right? Abraham was clueless for the first part of the marriage. He didn't know where he was going. Well, my husband's going to know where he's going, and he's going to be a holy, dignified man, and he's going to this, like Abraham, right? He didn't know where he was going, had no clue, had no direction, completely directionless, but he loved Jesus. No clue, no direction, but he loved Jesus. Jesus is qualifying it on a different basis than you are. He's matching hearts. He's not matching lifestyles. He's not matching economics. Those things matter, but they subordinate to the heart. He matches hearts. True. We're, we, we marry like the world. You know, we're all looking for it. The guy's looking for a Barbie, and the, and the, the, the girl's looking for Elon Musk or some huge, hugely successful person. Whatever. I don't know if that's your thing or what, but somebody that holds status and wealth and power, right? And then the dude's looking for, like, the Instagram queen. So... You know, he's looking for that. It's like, it's vain. It's empty. It's shallow. It won't last because it's built on the wrong foundation. I'm not saying he's not good looking. You're not good looking. I'm not saying you're not attracting. You should be attracting. But the attraction is based upon the heart, the fervency of the heart. They ha that, that heart for Jesus has to be equal, has to be if you're flat out sold out, you cannot marry someone less than that. You will be insanely frustrated. You'll be feeling like you're dragging a sack of potatoes with you the whole time. You have to marry in that context. And you cannot wait for perfection. Wait for perfection. It's not going to be perfect, people. Right? He's going to be clueless. She's not going to have it all together. You know, she's going to need to bathe because she just came from the field, right? She might have a little nangled hair, like, you know. Find a story in the Bible and pray that. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. Right? Ask the Lord. Show me a story in the scripture. Show me. Show me. And delve into it. And, de and define the portion of the story that is yours to own. Not lame. I want to be like Adam and Eve. Well, what part of Adam and Eve? I want to be like Rachel. And, and Isaac. Well, what part? I want to be like Jacob and Leah, or Jacob and Rachel, or Jacob and Rachel, and, or Isaac and Rebecca. I want to be like Jacob and Rachel. Well, what part? What part? You know, which, which part? I want to be like Ahasuerus and Esther. Well, which part? Which part? You know, which part of that story do you want to be like? So that's, that's enough. You know, we, we say these framed quotes. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, heaven doesn't move. It sounds religious. It sounds so happy. Woo, 
she's waiting for her Boaz. It sounds what's, like, what, what? You know, what does that mean? Like, what, you know, it, heaven moves over context that is appropriated to him, not quippy sayings that make us feel good and everybody, seem, it makes it seem spiritual. I don't know who that's for. Somebody want to get married here? Anybody want to get married? Yeah? Looking for marriage? Right? I'll give one to the men because I know all the ladies are like, well, I want to be, you know. So guys, you're supposed to grow up. Gentlemen, you're supposed to grow up. You're supposed to, I know this is going to sound like I'm cursing, get a job. <laughs> and you're supposed to take a wife. You're supposed to Grow up, get off the Xbox, right? You don't need a Monday to Friday on the Xbox. You need to grow up and get off the Xbox. You need to get a job, and you need to take a wife. That's God's plan. And if he will do that in concert with the hearts of the, of the other person, Jesus will work it out. If he has two people fully committed to him, he can work out anything, anything. If two hearts burn the same. Stop waiting for perfection, right? You know, grow up, gentlemen. Take a wife, right? Stop prolonging your childhood. The clock's ticking. Yes. My name is Pastor Kevin, and I'm your friend. Right? <laughs> I'm here to help. All right, reject, reject quick fixes. When things go crazy, look to Jesus. Don't look to the false fixes that are in the world. The world's going to offer you a lot of false fixes. Everybody around you, well, you just need to have a drink. You know, Jack Daniel's going to offer you a false fix. You know, they're all going to offer you false fixes, but the Lord is the one. It says this, those who look to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. This is a point in point, so I'm just going to pause. I'm going to get done. Really, I'm getting done. I'm going to skip a couple because I, I went off on marriage, but... Y'all wanted me to go off on marriage, didn't you? Come on. Come on. Yeah, yes, we did, right? Yeah, you wanted. That's right. <laughs> it says you forfeit the grace that should be theirs. When we go and we look to something else to provide for the need or the want or the whatever it is that we're doing, we're forfeiting grace. What's grace? Spiritual power moving in love. The power of God moving in your life is what you want, is it not? Well, when we look to the Lord, he enables us and gives us that spiritual power to be overcomers. He enables or empowers the circumstance to change in our favor so that we become eyewitnesses of his majesty. But when we look to another to do what he has promised to do, we forfeit that grace. We forfeit it. Spiritual power moving in love. Sons and daughters, you do not come before an altar. You come before a throne. You'll hear me say that a thousand times. When you come to Christ, you come to the altar. You come to the sacrifice. He, Lord, you rose, died, but from that point on, you're never called to that altar again. You're called before the throne of your Father, the seat of authority, rightfully, and you come boldly that you would receive grace, what? Spiritual power moving in love and mercy, charis, charity, abundance, generosity. So we're not beggars. Oh, God, help me. No, you're not a beggar. I'm just going to hold on to the altar, just going to cling to the cross. I'm not clinging to the cross. I'm going before the throne, right? He's not on the cross. He's on the throne, right? He's not in the tomb. He's on the throne. Just a thought. <laughs> so lastly, give thanks in advance. I'm gonna, I got a prayer for you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to practice what I'm preaching. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, all right? So give thanks in advance. So here's Jonah in the, in the, in the, in the belly of the well. 
He says, I will sing songs of thanksgiving and I will sacrifice to you. I will do what I have promised to you because all things, salvation comes from you. Singing, say it with me. Singing Singing. is important. important. I may not think it's important, but it's important. Say this. I may not be able to carry a tune in a bucket, but I'm supposed to sing. Jesus wants you to sing. It's actually a gift to us. This is actually psychological, psychology. It says um, it lowers your stress, true, increases your immunity, expands your memory functions, helps you overcome pain. You ever sing? You're feeling down? You feel better, right? And then it takes away loneliness. You ever feel alone? You start singing? You're not alone anymore, are you? Right? So singing is actually a gift to us. I told first service, I said, look, if you can't sing and you feel like people are going to be offended, just walk to the back wall. It's all totally cool, you know. <laughs> this lady comes up to me and she goes, I, I think you're going to be seeing me on the back wall. <laughs> I just said, I didn't, you know, anyway. Giving, some people think giving isn't important. It's, it is obedience. I will do what, I, what you have told me to do. Some people think obedience is optional. It's not, yeah, it's not. Obedience isn't optional. Obedience, it isn't. Obedience is greater than sacrifice, the Bible says. What the people were doing is they were appeasing God with sacrifices in order and still living disobedient lifestyles. The Lord said, keep your sacrifices and do what I ask. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. All right? Say this with me. Failure does not not disqualify me. Quitting does. Say this. Quitting is not an option, but change is. So the Lord, you're allowed to change as a Christian, but you're not allowed to quit. You're not allowed to quit. You're not allowed to quit. Quitting is not an option. They that draw back, my soul has no pleasure in. Cowards have no inheritance in the kingdom. You forfeit your inheritance when you act cowardly. You forfeit it. You can't access it because you're acting like a coward. Quitting is not an option, but change is. You may feel like quitting, but you may have to ask the Lord, what needs to change here? No, because I can't take it anymore. All right, so speaking of can't take it anymore, let's pray. Father, we give you glory. So we're gonna, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, right? And this prayer is based upon this teaching, upon this message. So you're going to pray with me. Say this. Father, I commit my ways to you. You are the source of my life. I reject all false idols. I repent for any and all wrongful choices that have separated me from your purposes. Illuminate my heart to the right way and I will follow. Deliver me from the deep waters. Turn my circumstances around. Turn my sorrow into joy. Restore my losses. Let's just say that again. Restore my losses. And grant me the courage and the wisdom to go a different way. Restore those who have suffered losses as a result of my failures. Failure does not disqualify me. Quitting does. So I choose not to quit. I choose to learn, to grow, and to follow your ways and not my own. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I'm gonna pray. We got a prayer team. Yeah, come on, we can clap. I feel like you're a Russian princess, Connie. Kanushka. <laughs> Thank you so much. Let me bless you guys one more time. We got a prayer team. If you need prayer for anything, we got the class at four o'clock. If you want to come back for that, and I encourage you to do so. But then one more prayer.
May the Lord bless you in the name of Jesus. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen. Amen.